Thank you for listening to City Hill Dubai podcast. The Exodus is our brand new series about God's salvation coming through in a time when people are scared and vulnerable. In the series, we also look at questions about finding our identity, our purpose in life, and how to find hope in unprecedented times. Join us in this epic journey where we will discover redemption, identity, and hope. A video format of this series is also available on our YouTube channel, City Hill Dubai. For more information, visit www.cityhillglobal.com. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us again at City Hill Church. So we are continuing our series from the book of Exodus in the Bible. And today we are at chapter 32. So God spoke to the nation of Israel. He gave them what we call the Ten Commandments. And the nation of Israel agreed to keep the terms of the covenant. However, we realize that Moses has actually gone to God and Moses was on top of Mount Sinai. Moses has been there for about 40 days and 40 nights. Now, whilst Moses was there, the people of Israel grew impatient. They just couldn't wait any longer. They grew frustrated. And they went to Aaron and demanded that Aaron make them gods that would go ahead of them and lead them to the promised land. Now, the first thing I want to talk about from this passage in Ezra chapter 32, I want us to look at idolatry. What is idolatry? In our world, in our modern times, what is idolatry? Idolatry is putting something or someone in the place of God. Idols are counterfeit gods. They are counterfeit gods. They are anything you seek to give you what only Christ can give you as a child of God. And what are these things? We seek for things like joy, security, and for some people it is protection. Some people seek peace. They seek significance. For some people they're seeking for identity and others want salvation from something they are afraid of. Many in our modern world do not believe idolatry is a problem to them. Why don't they believe? Because for them, idolatry is associated with shrines, temples, carved images, and other things that they have to kneel down to and make sacrifices to. But I keep looking at this passage and I'm asking myself, in our world today, do we still have idols? Let's ask ourselves, what about the idols of our hearts? Heart idols are everywhere. And these idols are common. They include things like money, things like sex, things like maybe a romantic relationship. There is nothing wrong with that. Things like an approval from your peers, competence. For some people, it is their skill. Others, it is their brains. For some people, it is their beauty. And you can go on and for some people, it is a comfortable circumstance that they want for themselves or they have for themselves. Now, someone might be asking, can these things become idols? Yes, these things can become idols in our life. 
We see the nation coming to Aaron and then they set unto Aaron, up Aaron, make us gods that will go before us and lead us to the promised land. What were they actually asking for? The Israelites were supposed to know the Ten Commandments just like us. They knew the first commandment which said, you shall have no other gods before me. And they knew the second commandment which said, you shall make not for yourself any other god from carved images or from any other form of idol. So what happened? Why then did they have to go down this path and demand for gods for themselves at this time on their journey? The first thing I see there is that these friends were impatient with Moses who had been on the mountain all this time. Moses had been on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and they grew impatient. Impatience, I'm telling you in our world now, is the source of most of the conflicts that we see and is the cause of most of the impulsive actions that we see. We see impatience in relationships, impatience at workplaces, impatience even on the road. And people take a lot of traffic fines just because of impatience. And for some people making decisions that are out of the will of God, why? Because of impatience. These friends grew frustrated. The nation grew frustrated waiting at the base of Mount Sinai for Moses. They just couldn't trust that God was in charge. God was doing something and God knew what was happening on top of the mountain. They couldn't trust that process. And not only that, they wanted to get on with their journey. They wanted to go on to the promised land. But you know what? They wanted to go without the presence of God and without God's instructions. So the same is for us today. God says, I'll be with you. God says, trust me. He says, my purposes, my plans, they are good. They are to bring you to an expected end. But you know what? Sometimes we tell ourselves our smartness is our savior. And when we go that path, we fall into all kinds of sins and we do things out of the will of God. Perhaps you are in a situation right now and you want to get out of it. You just can't wait any longer. It might be a job situation, a relationship, a marriage situation, a family situation, a situation where you are under pressure as I speak to you right now. And you just can't wait any longer. You want to get out of it. My prayer for you today is that you will come out of this situation stronger. You will come out with a testimony and you will come out knowing that you are coming out of this in the will and in the timing of God. However, as you wait through this process, can you trust God's goodness? Can you trust God's timing? And can you trust that God's purposes and his will is good for you? So this nation of Israel forgot the grace and the faithfulness of the Lord. They told Aaron that they want gods that will lead them to the promised land. And Aaron asked them to remove their gold earrings and then bring them. And what did we see? They made a calf 
out of their own earrings, gold earrings. Let me ask the question. How did they get the gold to make the idol? How did they get the gold to make the calf? It came from their plundering of Egypt. Why did they get it? God gave the gold to them. We saw that in Exodus chapter 3. Verse 21, 22, and in Exodus 12, we saw that God gave them the wealth of Egypt. The gold came from God's victory over Egypt. It pictured the grace of God. It pictured God's faithfulness. The gold pictured God's blessings upon this nation when they left Egypt. But you know what? What God gave to them, they changed it into an idol. And instead of using it for God's glory, the people said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. They changed God for gold and made that gold into a calf and began to worship it. We live in a time when the human heart takes the good things of life. Very good things of life. It could be a successful career that God gave to you. It could be the material possessions that God has given to you right now. It could be a loving, beautiful, wonderful relationship that God has given to you. Is there anything wrong with that? No. But the human heart turns these things into the ultimate things of life. We idolize these things in our hearts and we worship these things and we replace God with these things. Why? Because we think these things can give us meaning in life. These things give us fulfillment and they give us recognition if all these things are in place in our life. Not only did they forget about God's goodness and His faithfulness, they also used their skills to make this idol, to honor this idol. Last week, we heard from Andrew and Jane who helped us to unpack how the Spirit of God came upon this nation and God gave them gifts. We saw Aholiab and we saw Bezalel with gifts of craftsmanship, gifts of even doing artistic designs, gifts that were used for decorating the temple. But what do we see among these people now? Now, these gifts are for idolatrous devotion. They use the same skill that they have, but this time around to make a calf and to worship the calf. So we should just think about it for a while. It is not just about making the calf, but look at the time it took. Look at the craftsmanship that is required to design the golden calf. So instead of using the skill, the time, and the goal to honor God, they use it for an idol. Now it leads me to this question that I want to ask you today. Am I using my gifts, my God-given gifts, to honor the living God? Am I using my time, my talent, my treasure, my skill for His glory? Let me also ask the question, what skill, what talent, what vocation has God given to you? What has God blessed you with where you are now in your life? Maybe it's a career. You might be a chef. You might be 
a businessman, maybe you are a banker, a consultant, maybe an engineer, maybe you are a musician, maybe you are a teacher. The question I'm asking today is, how can we use these things for the glory of God and not let them become idols that I now worship, things that I exalt as the ultimate things in my life? How can I use these things to display the glory of God in our world? How can I let the world see the living God through what he has blessed me with? Now, the second thing I want to talk about in this passage is distorted worship. A worship system that was made to honor a calf, an image, instead of the living God. They brought burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and may have a feast, but they had all these things to a calf, to an image. A worship system that did not have the fear of God. They exchanged God for invisible God, for an invisible God, sorry, and made an image. A worship system that was made to honor an image instead of the living God. They had a feast and brought offerings, but true worship was not there. Now begin to feel that you can end up doing things in the name of God and for God, but true worship wouldn't be there. You end up not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We should be asking ourselves, the worship that we bring before God, what form of worship am I bringing? Is he an honor to an image? True worship is about glorifying God. It's not just about gratifying myself. True worship is putting the cross on display. It's about displaying what Christ did when he died for us. True worship tells the sinner he can be saved. True worship talks about the victory God gave us when we were slaves in the world, when we were in Egypt. True worship displays the cross. It talks about the power of God over the gods of Egypt. But that isn't what we are seeing here. The nation's worship was distorted. So the people themselves became distorted. They, uh, they, they ended up worshipping an image instead of the true God. Worshipping a human-made image instead of God. And you know something? They also danced and they had a feast before the calf. I don't think dancing on its own is a problem. I come from a country where we dance a lot. We dance. Even for the, from the very young child to the oldest guy in town, everyone dance and we dance so easily. You don't need to go to the uni and have a, a degree to learn how to dance if you come from my part of the world. But when Moses descended from the mountain and with Joshua, they heard the sound in the camp that was serious, something to think about. What kind of dancing was going on there? It was this honorable activity that had with it sexual overtones. The people sat down to drink, they sat down to eat, and they rose up to play. What kind of worship and dancing was going on? Some commentaries even said that the people were possessed. They had spirits coming upon them when they were doing these things. It was not to the true God. But this worship was to an image, it was to a calf. 
This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 1. Paul says something from verses 21 to 25. Let me read it to you. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the last of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying literally here that sin problems are also worship problems. So when a person is addicted to things like pornography and the person can't quit, you have to understand that there is something the person is worshipping that leads the person not to quit such an art. When a person is addicted to things like anger and the person can't quit it, even after all treatment, anger management and counseling, then we got to find out that there is something the person worships that the person just can't quit worshiping that thing. That is why he cannot leave his anger. When a person is addicted to things like money and the person can do anything and go any mile to get money at all costs and by any means, then we got to understand that there is something the person is worshiping here. And the person just can't be stopped from getting it. The idol of money, which is the God we call Mammon in the Bible, was exposed during the financial crisis of the 2008-2009. Mammon was exposed so much. What did we see in our world? People even hung themselves. People sat in their cars behind their expensive cars and they shot themselves. People took a knife, they cut their own wrist, and then they bled to death. Others went to their homes, they drank things, and they took their own life. And for some people, they went into their offices, stood behind their office buildings, and then they just leaped for their, to their death. Why will people do such things? Why? Because their goals have been taken away. The global economic crisis that we saw in that time, the crash of the economies of this world, people felt their gods have been taken away. Tim Keller talks a lot about this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. And the fact that when the things of this world, created things, becomes the God that we worship, it follows with sorrows, it follows with pain. This is what David said. David said the sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. So sorrows multiply when we chase other gods, when we chase created things and let these things become the ultimate. These things become the things we idolize and the things that we worship instead of the living God. David calls us to love creation 
Use creation, steward creation. Use the things that God has given to us to glorify him, build his purposes, build his kingdom. As we use these things for his purposes, he says we should worship only the creator. We should worship only the true God. So what else can we see in this passage? We can see a picture. Moses gives us a story of intersection. Moses stood before God with all that was happening at the base of Mount Sinai and Moses was pleading with God on behalf of the people. Moses said, your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. And listen to what God said to Moses. God said to Moses, now leave me alone, Moses, so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. What do we see happening here? God's wrath, God's anger, God's judgment. So God said to Moses, I want to make a nation out of you. But as for these people, I'm going to destroy them. But Moses stood before God and Moses kept pleading for these people. Moses just kept asking God, please, Lord, look upon these people with mercy. Now, what do we learn about Moses from this story and from what is happening here? Moses gives us a picture that we've all seen, friends. We have all been caught up in our lust, in idolatry, and we need a mediator. We need someone who will stand between us and the God of heaven and earth, who is holy and who is just. We need someone who will stand in between us and God. And do you know something, my friends? We have one. We have a mediator. We have a substitute. This mediator is Jesus Christ. God provided for us a mediator who will stand in between us and him. Why? Jesus came and he turned away the wrath of God from us. In John 3, 16, God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in this son will not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son to condemn this world, but that through his son, this world might be saved. Let me ask you a question. Have you come to Jesus who, is, who alone is able to stand before God on your behalf? Have you come to Jesus? And as followers of Jesus, we learn from Moses' example. What do we learn? We learn the picture of standing in the gap, interceding and calling on God when we see the world pursuing other gods. When we see people seeking after the things of this world and wanting to worship them, idolizing, exchanging them for the true God, God calls on us to stand in the gap. Just like Moses, that we can petition God. We can talk to God about his great power and about his mighty hand. God, it isn't as if God doesn't know. But you know, you can remind God in our intercession. You can tell him, God, your reputation is on the line. Because the hidden Egypt will say, you saved these people and you brought them here into the wilderness so that you would destroy them. But that wasn't God's purpose. 
and we can petition God and talk to him about his covenant faithfulness, his faithfulness to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, the promises he made unto them. Is it that God doesn't know? God knows. But God calls you and me that we can come before him and we can talk to him about the world. We can talk to him about the idols that have taken over in the heart of mankind. God calls on you and me that we can tell him about mankind pursuing a different God apart from the true God. So we can talk to God about it. But there is something else Moses did. What did he do? Moses did not seek for a personal glory when he even stood before God. God said to him, I will destroy this nation. I want to start all over with you, Moses. Because of their stubbornness and their unwillingness to listen to God. However, we see Moses telling God, Lord, save these people. So Moses cared about the nation. He cared about the people. When we stand in prayer, it is about asking God to make disciples of all nations. It is not about our personal aggrandizement. It is not about what we want, but it is about seeking the glory of Christ Jesus. It's about seeking that men and women will be saved. On our knees, when we stand and we pray, it's about asking God to save the lost. And not just about what we want. Moses stood in the gap and he gave us this example. Now the fourth thing I want to talk about again from this story is the atonement. What do we see Moses doing here when Moses stood or came down from Mount Sinai and came to the camp at the base and met his own people? Moses said to the people, perhaps I shall make an atonement for your sin. I will go before God. So Moses was not sure. He felt that the sin of his people was very great. He felt that man and his nation had exchanged the true God now for a calf. And then they worshipped and they bowed to this calf. But you know, Moses knew the law and he was convinced that if these people were to be forgiven, if God's judgment was to be averted, it must be as a result of a sacrifice. The Hebrew word for atonement, kippur, which is what is used for our English word atonement, means to be at one, be reconciled, be in concord with God. And this happens when one makes amends or satisfactory reparation for wrongs that have been committed. The judgment of God came. 3,000 men died there in the camp, in the wilderness. What for? Because they exchanged God for an idol, for a cow, for an image, for something else that they worship, exalted as God. And Moses demanded who is on the Lord's side. Those who refused, they died there in the camp. Now let's ask the question, what about those who remained in the camp, who had also worshipped the idol, who had turned the calf into their God and were there among these people? What happened to them? Their hope was in the mediator. Their hope was in the sacrifice. Their hope was in the atonement, just as Moses said he was going to do for them. 
So Moses asked for forgiveness for the sin of the people and he said something amazing, something that we all need to look at. Moses said, he stood before God and he said, but God, if you can't forgive this nation, please erase me from the book you have written. Moses said, God erase my name from your book. What was Moses actually talking about here? Moses offered to lose his own life for the sake of the nation of Israel. Moses offered to give his life in exchange for the sins of those people. Moses was willing to die as a sacrifice, as an atonement to pay the price for the nation of Israel. Moses knew what he was saying. He knew that this was a substitute. This was what was the, this was the only means God's judgment was going to be averted. In the atonement sacrifice, it is the priest who comes to God with the blood of animals, which is offered for sin offering for the sins of the people. However, we see, a, we see something different. Moses wants to give his life for the life of the people. He wants to give his life. He wants to die in exchange for the people. But you know something? God did not accept the offer. God didn't take Moses' offer. Why didn't God accept Moses' offer? Because Moses himself was a sinner. Moses himself had sin in his life and he couldn't die on behalf of the people. The only sacrifice God can accept is a perfect sacrifice. It's an unstained sacrifice, a sacrifice that is without sin. So Moses could not die in place of the people. He came close. Perhaps Moses came closer amongst all that have been born amongst men, amongst women. But he still couldn't make an atonement with his own life for the people. Moses couldn't do that. Friends, this points us to one great reality. One thing we need to all understand. That we need a perfect substitute. We need a perfect mediator. We need a perfect someone who will stand in the gap between us and God. For our ways that we have gone. The writer of Hebrews gives us a picture of that perfect sacrifice. Gives us a picture of that perfect mediator. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 and 12. This is what the writer said. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect things not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of blood and of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption for us all. So Christ ascended to the cross and he took the punishment that we deserved for our idolatry. He took the judgment of God that could have come on us for our ways and for the things that we have exchanged God for. Christ died and he took that on himself. He did this so our sins will be covered. So God will remember no more our idolatry. 
Jesus laid down his life as the good shepherd for the sheep that have gone astray. He laid down his life for us all. Why did he do this? He did this so now because of his sacrifice, our names can be written in the book of life. Now let me ask you a question. Has your name been written in the book of life? Has your name been written in the book of heaven? Moses was willing for his name to be erased from this book for the sake of the people. But God did not accept that offer. He gave us a perfect offer and that offer is through his son Jesus. Let me ask you, has your name been written in this book of life? Now, in conclusion, Paul gave us a warning. Paul said something that I felt probably we need to all look at it again. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 to 8 and 11 to 14. Now, this is what Paul said. Now, these things became examples for us so that we would not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and they got up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people fell and then they died. Now these things happen to them as examples and they are written for us as a warning. On whom the ends of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But with the temptation, he also provides a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Friends, we need to see Jesus as our substitute. We need to see him as the one who died in our place for our idolatry. He did this so that we will be reconciled to God. It's time, my friends, for us to turn from idols to the living God. And I believe without a living relationship with Jesus, we just live satisfying our lust, exchanging God for the created things of this world. We all need a new life. We all need a new passion. A passion that is made possible only through Jesus Christ. As I speak to you today, do you need this new life? Do you want to launch a comeback to Jesus, my fellow Christian? Do you want to surrender what has become idols in your life? Do you want to surrender them to Jesus today? Do you want to serve him with your life, with the best he has blessed you with? Do you want to bring it all to him today? Do you want to come before him and tell him, you are my master today. You are my most intimate companion and you want to serve him with your skill, with your talent, with your life, and with everything he has blessed you with. If that is your desire, I want you to join me as we pray. This prayer is on the screen. I want you to pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me to take away my sins. I ask you to come into my life and forgive me all my sins. 
I declare you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Father, we live in a world where our hearts are always seeking for something to worship. And we worship these things because we believe they are, they are able to give us what we need, protection. They are able to give us joy, satisfaction. They are able to give us fulfillment in this world. But sadly, Lord, these things have failed us. Today we come to you, we surrender, we confess, Lord, that we want to serve you with our lives, we want to serve you with everything that you have blessed us with. We surrender everything unto you, our lives, and we want to serve you with our skill, our talent, our time, and the very things you have blessed us with. We don't want to worship them, we don't want to turn these things into idols any longer. We want to turn away from idols unto you, the living God. We want to worship none but you alone, the living God. Jesus, you came to die as the perfect substitute for our idolatry. You died and took away the wrath of God, the judgment of God that could have come upon us for our waywardness, for our idolatry. We thank you. Today, Lord, we ask for a new vision, a new passion of who you are. We want to serve you with our lives. We will surrender everything unto you. We thank you that you've heard us because we have prayed through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you've joined us today and you have just prayed this prayer, we want to hear from you. Now below the screen, you can find our contacts there. We want you to send us an email. Let us know that you have come to Christ Jesus and you have surrounded your life to him. We want to hear from you. Maybe you have a testimony how you have surrounded your idols and you have turned to the living God. We want to hear from you. Please send us an email, send us a message, and we would love to celebrate with you how far God has brought you. Thank you for being part of our meeting today. We look forward to seeing you again next week when we gather again at City Hill. God bless you, and it's bye-bye from me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Exodus series. To find out more about City Hill, visit www.cityhillglobal.com. We'd love to hear from you.